Good morning. Hey, it is great to be here with a blank screen. Help! Do we know? It wasn't working. Wow. Oh, well. Oh, well. Oh, well. Uh, um, hey, a couple of things. <laughs> I'm right now thinking, if you're watching online, this is going to look really weird to have this blank screen up here. But uh, we're glad that you're watching. So uh, here we go. Um, we start a new series next week called Experiencing God. And I just want to kind of tease that for a second and really, really encourage you to commit to be a part of that to be a part of that series, to, to go ahead and buy a workbook, to do that, to get in a life group and be a part of that study and really make that live in your life for the next 13 weeks. If you don't do that, if, you, if, you, if you're not connected to a life group, if you don't do the workbook, it'll get old um, it'll, because it won't make nearly as much sense. So I just wanna encourage you to take that step. You'll hear that kind of come out in today's message as well, because uh, this message kind of helps set the stage for that Experiencing God um, series that's coming up, starts next week. Um, also, I wanna encourage you, just uh, just uh, take a second, and if you're watching online, uh, to encourage you, whether you're here or wherever, to tune in to the North Point Plus podcast that comes out on Tuesdays. Uh, Mark and I were talking last week and said, it's probably one of the most fun things that we do during the week um, to just be able to talk about the message and, um, and to talk about questions that, ha that people have about the message, but to just have a conversation, it's a different kind of a format than, than with when I'm up here or when the teaching team is up here speaking and it's one person and everybody listening. Um, it's, I think, more engaging. It's fun. I get to say, tell stuff that doesn't make it into the message, answer questions, all that kind of thing. And we hope that you'll um, be a part of that. If you do have questions, particularly in today's message, if you think, ah, I'm not sure that was right or did I understand what you said correctly, Rick? Um, you can send those message, those questions in through the app. Um, send those to us um, in the sermon notes, and uh, and we'll jump in and answer those. Uh, so that's a, a great thing. I don't know about you, but I love a campfire. Uh, maybe it goes back to Boy Scouts or church camp or Crystal Lake or sometime. I, I just love campfires. Maybe it goes back to college. When uh, there was a building at the college that Deb and I went to where I could build a fire in the fireplace and we could sit, um, and it was a cheap date uh, to watch the fire and just enjoy being together. But I, I, I love about fires. I, I love watching them. I love building them. I love tending them. I love the smell of them. I love the sound of a fire crackling. I just, I love campfires. Um, one of the things that's interesting to me about campfires is that when you first build that fire, um, you have lots of flame and it's beautiful, right? It's uh, lots of flame, but not a lot of heat initially, right? When it, when it first starts, everything catches fire and you can get burnt, but there's not the intensity of heat that you experience as that fire burns down and becomes coals and you get that blue flame that's there 
when it's ready for marshmallows and chocolate and graham crackers, right? Uh, that, a, a big fire with a big flame, that's not when you do some wars. It's when it's burnt down to the coals. That's what it's all about. Um, if, here's the thing about fires, though. If, if in the midst of the fire, you take one of the logs that's in the fire and move it away from the rest, and it becomes disengaged from the rest of the fire, what will happen? It'll go out, right? Uh, I'm sorry, I'm, uh, this is, uh, I'm, I'm trying to protect my hands. This was a part of a fire, right? And it got pulled away from the fire. You can tell that it was impacted by the fire. But once it gets removed from, from the fire, it ceases to burn. It loses its intensity. It becomes disconnected. And it's no longer, uh, it, it no longer burns. Keep that image in your mind. Um, over the last two and a half years, I think many of you have experienced what that piece of wood has experienced. COVID came and everything got shut down. We were isolated from everyone. And we began to get back and there was this wave of things that happened. You know, the first wave of COVID ended, the second wave of COVID came, the third wave of COVID came, and then there was, uh, you know, the, then there was Delta, then there was what else? Um, Omicron, um, all of the different variations of COVID. And I think now, as I look back over the last two years, one of the things that has happened because of COVID is that people have disengaged from, from connecting with each other. Um, I think people are much more afraid now to go into groups of people that they don't know. I think they're afraid to be in large groups of people, although you wouldn't know that watching football stadiums, right? Um, but there is this sense of discontent and depression and disengagement that has happened in our general population, um, I think because, uh, largely because of COVID. How do, how do I know that? Because it's so common. It's so common for us to, to think that it's normal to binge watch an entire series on Netflix or Hulu or Prime, Right? Not, not, just, not just a season, to binge watch a season, to, but to binge watch a series. Five, six, 10 seasons, 50, 60, 80, 100 episodes. And to think that that's the most normal thing in the world. Sit in front of the TV, disengaged from all the rest of humanity, and just watch what's going on. Today's message is very intentional. I, I want you to hear that. Um, I think that you need to hear it. I think that you need to act on it. This is not a message. Sometimes there are messages that, that I'm, I know I'm just planting seed. Um, and I know that it's gonna take a long time before it really um, germinates and takes off and grows. This is a message that you need to act on. If there's truth in what we study today, you need to respond to that truth. Last week's message really set, the, set the, 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 the stage for today's message. Jake said, we are the body of Christ. We talked about that from 1 Corinthians 12. We're connected to each other. We're better together than we are alone. 
God didn't make the body of Christ to be a whole bunch of individuals, but a collection, a body. Um, This relationship that we exist in the body of Christ, hear this, this relationship in the body of Christ is more important than your team at work. It's more important than your side hustle. It's more important than your kids' travel team. It's more important than your commitment to travel and see every state park in Michigan or the entire Midwest. Church is not something that you do. It's a part of who you are, according to scripture. If you're part of the body of Christ, your connection to the body is essential. You will experience the benefits that come from being part of the body, but others will experience that benefit as well. When you're connected to the body, your influence impacts other people's lives and their relationship with Jesus. There are four direct commands that are in the New Testament that I want us to look at today in Scripture. Um, They're not recommendations or suggestions. They're directive teaching from Paul and James and the writer of Hebrews. Those four directives are encourage, serve, carry, and then confess and pray. Encourage one another daily. Serve one another in love. Carry each other's burdens. Confess your sins to one another and pray for one another. That's where we're going in the message. I just I want to dive in, let you see where we're going, and then um, look at each one individually. If you've got your Bibles, take them out, turn them to Hebrews three. If uh, you've got the North Point app open, go ahead and, and go there as well. It'll be on screen as well. Hebrews three, verse thirteen. The writer says, "Encourage one another daily, as long as it's called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness." Encourage one another daily, as long as it's called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. We don't know for sure who wrote the book of Hebrews, but we know that it was written to people who were Jewish and had become convinced that Jesus was the promised Messiah. Their allegiance had changed from a compulsion, a system of obedience to 612 laws that they found in scripture. Their obedience had changed from that to Jesus, to the one who came to fulfill the law, to help them know and love and be in real relationship with the God of the universe. He would no longer be their distant judge whose requirements had to be satisfied. He would become their father, the one that they could call daddy because of Jesus. These Jewish leaders had found community in knowing and following Jesus. They had become known as the gathering, the the Greek word koinonia, the the gathering of believers who took care of each other, who invested in each other's lives, who cared financially for each other, and who recognized that they had to stay connected to each other in order to survive in a very difficult and hostile culture. So the writer says, encourage one another daily, now. In this moment, don't miss the opportunity. I think if the writer was writing in 2022, he would have said, um, you know what? Text each other, eat together, go to Big B or Starbucks together, talk in the stands at a game or a concert, um, and encourage one another as you do those things. Encourage one another. Not compliment one another, not just hang out with one another, not 
commiserate with, other and, uh, with each other and, and tell each other how bad our, our culture has become, but encourage each other. The word that's translated encourage is the same word that's used in scripture to describe the Holy Spirit, which is really interesting to me. Um, the, the Greek word is the word parakleo. It's uh, very similar to the word for the Holy Spirit, which is paraclete, the one who comes alongside of. The word encourage that's trans, the word that's translated encourage means to come beside, to strengthen, to plead with one another, to take action. That's the relationship that we need to have within the body. The writer says, do it today because it's desperately needed. We don't know how much time we have, either before we die or before Jesus returns. 21 years ago today, this morning, right about now, a whole lot of people in the World Trade Center in, in lower Manhattan in the U.S. thought that the day would be just like any other day, and it wasn't. Everything changed. Last Sunday, uh, many of you know if you're on Facebook, I was driving back from Columbus. I had watched the Ohio State game in Columbus. Go Bucks. Um, and and uh, we were in an accident on 75, on Interstate 75, heading north towards home. Um, in an instant, everything can change. Had the car been a little bit further ahead or a little bit farther behind, um, in a little bit different place, it's real possible I wouldn't be here. Everything can change. The writer of Hebrews says, encourage one another daily because, because it's today. We don't know what time we have. Um, so we, we need to encourage each other daily so we don't lose track of what's most important in life. And he says, so that the deceitfulness of sin won't harden your heart. Uh, what's, what's the deceitfulness of sin? I think it's this. It's this idea that something other than God will fulfill our deepest desire in our heart. That's the deceitfulness of sin. They say, uh, sin says, oh, if you get this, everything will be better. You know what? If you buy that house on the lake, then you'll be happy. If you get that promotion, then you'll be successful. If you just have that relationship with that man or woman or whoever it is, then you'll be fulfilled. If you just buy that car or go on that trip, or you know your Amazon driver by name, everything will be good in life, right? Now, there's not anything wrong with all those other things except maybe knowing your Amazon driver by name. That's uh, the only thing. Um, there's not anything wrong with those things. But if we believe that having those things, doing those things, incorporating those things into our life will bring us lasting fulfillment, we've missed it. Sin has deceived us. They will not give lasting joy. They won't put within us this perpetual sense of fulfillment that can sustain us through the dark and difficult times. When, we, when you wake up and realize that relationship or that car or that job or that trip or that house, you have those things and you're still not fulfilled, your heart becomes hard. It's like, what's, what's the use? And we begin to deaden ourselves to relationships with anybody because we've tried to fill a void that only God can fill with stuff, with things that don't really matter. 
If you lose your way and pursue the deceitfulness of sin, your heart becomes hardened and dies, the author of of Hebrews says. So encourage each other daily to not lose track of what's most important. The person that you're talking to, that you're communicating with, they need to hear that. But you need to say it as well. Because when we're the encourager, it does something deep within us as well. It reinforces that we believe what we say. Encourage one another daily. Turn to somebody and say, turn to somebody on your left and say, your relationship with Jesus is what matters most. Now turn to the person on your right and say, your relationship with Jesus is the thing that matters most. It's, it's what matters most. Now, now hear me in this. Incorporate that truth into the conversations you have at Bigby or on the ball field or on the assembly line or at the water cooler with followers of Jesus. Be intentional about having those conversations with people who are part of the body of Christ here at North Point. Encourage one another daily. A little bit later in the letter, um, the, the writer says something else that's similar and, and just, I think, really interesting. Hebrews chapter 10, go there. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23 through 25. The writer says this, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. Let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day approaching. Historically, I think pastors and teachers, Bible teachers, have quoted verse 25 to emphasize the importance of being a part of the Sunday morning gathering where we are right now. Don't forsake the gathering of the saints. That means that you need to be here on Sunday morning. And I think that that's a legitimate and a really good application of that truth. But the application isn't limited to what happens on Sunday morning at 9.30 or 11 o'clock. It's bigger than that. It's why life groups are so important to us at North Point. Why we think that it's critical, that it's crucial for you to be a part of this Experiencing God series. To be connected with other followers of Jesus. Um, uh, Hebrews 10, that that verse in Hebrews 10 I, I think says this. Stay rock solid to the hope that you have in Jesus. Figure out how to help others love each other and live out the mission of Jesus. And by the way, don't try and do it alone. You've got to stay connected so that you can encourage each other because the day of Jesus' return is coming soon. Don't try and be a part of the fire, but not be connected to it. Think about how we can encourage each other, how we can spur one another on to love and good works because the day of Jesus' return is coming back. The second idea that's critical, I think, to us having a life that's better together, to be in the body of Christ, to living that out, is to serve one another in love. Uh, A leader in the first century church, a guy named Paul, uh, is writing uh, in this passage to the church in Galatia, a church that was made up primarily of Jewish believers in Jesus, like, like the recipients of the letter of Hebrews, 
that become followers of Jesus, but they struggled with legalism. They kept being drawn back to this idea that if they could just do enough, they'd be right with God. If they could just obey those 612 um, commandments, those laws, as well as believe in Jesus, everything would be good. Here's the way the message phrases Galatians 5, verses 13 and 14. It's absolutely clear that God has called you to a free life. Just make sure that you don't use this freedom as an excuse to do whatever you want to do and destroy your freedom. Rather, use your freedom to serve one another in love. That's how freedom grows. For everything we know about God's word is summed up in a single sentence. Love others as you love yourself. That's an act of true freedom. I want to focus on that phrase that's right there in the center of that. Serve one another in love. Um, Let me just be real transparent here for a second and say this. One of the things that grieves pastors most deeply is when people leave the churches that they serve and they say something like, you know, I just wasn't getting fed there. You know, I I wasn't getting what I needed there. Or they say, um, you know what? They just didn't have the right kind of programming for my kids. Or their their student ministry, that wasn't very good. Or, you know what? They don't even have a men's ministry or a women's ministry. And so I'm going to go someplace else that has those things. Why does that grieve pastors? It's not because they think, oh, my church must be inferior to somebody else's church. Let me me just be clear about that. It's not that. It hurts whenever anybody leaves. But the thing that grieves me is that that it communicates this sense of a consumer mentality rather than a, a, a picture, an accurate picture of the church that says, um, I'm connected to others. What is it, God, that you've called me to give? How, how can I serve? It communicates this concept of if there's enough good stuff for me, the things that I want, I'll stay. As long as I get filled up spiritually, I'll come, and I may even give financially. But if there's not what I want, I'll find someplace else that has what I want that will, that will, that will benefit me. What does Paul say to the church in Galatia? Serve one another in love. You've been set free by Jesus. Not so you can get, but so that you can give. Serve one another in love. If you are not serving, if you're not serving the body, you become one of these pieces of wood. You're on fire once. You got, there's great stuff happening. Lots of flame, lots of heat. But if we're not serving, if we're not connected to the body, we become isolated and we die. Um, We have out in the atrium, out, out that direction, we have what we call the serve wall. It's a, it's a place that lists all kinds of ways that you can serve here at North Point. And I, I would encourage you after the service, before next week, whatever, go check it out and, and, and pray. God, what do you want me to do to help benefit the body of Christ? How, do you, how, how can I be engaged and, and get involved and serve one another in love? There are probably a hundred different ways that aren't on that wall that involve the body of Christ here at North Point or the body of Christ in a larger way. 
Um, that, lots of different kinds of things that you could do. Taking a meal to a couple who are going through a hard time. Inviting a person or a family to share a holiday with you. Using your expertise to help a, a member of the body of Christ do their taxes. Giving your timeshare or a weekend at your cottage to some folks that could never afford to be able to have that kind of experience. Um, serve one another in love. Can I tell you about somebody here at North Point that gets this concept of serve one another in love, that they get it and they live it out in a really, really cool way. Pam Dolan is somebody who retired after, uh, after a career working at, at Coca-Cola that has a love for God and a love for kids. About three or four years ago, she was encouraged to think about serving in kids' world, a retired lady in kids' world elementary age. She said, I don't know, I haven't worked with kids for such a long time, but when I did, I really loved it. I love kids. I'm probably too old. They, they won't even listen to me. But she said yes and began to serve. And she's at the heart of what happens in kids' world every week at 9.30. She dresses up in costume when she teaches. Sometimes, if you look up there uh, in, the, in the picture that's um, the second from the right, she comes dressed as an astronaut so that she can te teach truths about who Jesus is, so that she can help little guys learn and memorize scripture and know that Jesus loves them. You wanna know the craziest thing about Pam? She is deeply committed to serving one another in love. She's, she has continued to serve even when her personal world has been turned upside down. A few years ago, Pam's husband, Steve, was diagnosed with cancer. And, and as that cancer has become more aggressive, he needed special care. And Pam has had to take on uh, virtually all of the responsibilities for their home maintenance, as well as taking care of her husband, getting him to doctor's appointments, doing all those kinds of things. Pam has every reason in the world to say, you know what, I can't do this anymore. I'm burning the candle at both ends. I'm just gonna stay home on Sunday mornings and watch online. Instead, she's here every week and continues to serve. She would say that her hour in kids' world is maybe the highlight of her week. It allows, with, it allows her to be with kids and to be a kid. It allows her to serve the body, to serve those kids and Jesus in a very tangible and powerful way. Here's, here's what, I, what I have observed as a pastor over the last 40 years. People who have found a way to serve the body of Christ using their God-given gifts are some of the most joyful followers of Jesus that you'll ever meet. They may be people who organize a supply closet or clean carpets, or shovel snow, or befriend awkward middle school kids and assure them that God loves them deeply. They may be rocking babies in the nursery, or helping create um, good strategies for, for wise financial practices. They may be opening their, their, their homes to a life group. They may be the first face that you see on Sunday morning when you arrive. Or, may, or you may never see their faces, 
because they're out working in the community garden and helping teach people about how, how plants grow and how God does that um, through people. They may be flipping slides for worship or uploading the live stream. They may be mixing sound for the band. But their joy comes from serving the body of Christ, a body that can't function at all without its members serving one another in love. The body of Christ exists not to be takers, but to be givers. Serve one another in love, Paul says. The, th the third truth that I want us to look at this morning in, in this life that's better together as the body is uh, found in Galatians chapter 6, verse 2. Paul says this, carry one another's burdens. And in this way, you'll fulfill the requirements of the law of Christ. That is the law of Christian love. I'm using the amplified uh, version for this verse because it fleshes out the meanings of those Greek words. Carry one another's burdens. In this way, you'll fulfill the requirements of the law of Christ. That is the law of Christian love. For if anyone thinks he is something special, when in fact he's nothing special except in his own eyes, he deceives. English Standard Version translates it this way. Bear one another's burdens. Bear one another's burdens. The picture that's there is of a person who's weighed down with so much stuff that they can't make it. And someone comes up beside them and says, you know what, let me carry that for you. Let me carry that for you too. Let me carry that for you too. And that. We, we called last week's message and this week's message better together because scripture paints a picture of the church when it's functioning as God designed as better together, when we're encouraging each other, when we're, um, when we're serving one another, when we're bearing each other's burdens, it's an incredible place to be because God is working in incredible ways in that environment as the body of Christ. What, what does it look like to bear one another's burdens? It, it may mean that you sit and grieve with a member of the body who's had a family member or a close friend die. It may mean that you help rescue a person who's in an environment of domestic abuse. It may mean that you're willing to drive a couple of hours to pick up somebody who's broken down on the side of the road and can't get home. It may mean that you pray with someone facing a deeply difficult situation and not just pray for them from the comfort of your home. It may mean that you reach out to someone that you recognize is on the verge of collapse. It may mean that you allow the Holy Spirit to give you empathy for a brother or sister in Christ who's struggling, even when you think that their issue might be silly or stupid. It may even mean that the Holy Spirit prompts you to meet a financial need for somebody else, even when doing so means that you're gonna have to sacrifice, you're, that you're gonna have to give up something that you've been saving for. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ, Paul says. What's the law of Christ? to love your neighbor as yourself, to do for others what you wish that they would do for you. Bearing one another's burdens means that you'll listen, that you'll love, that you'll labor for, and that you'll be Jesus to others 
in the body of Christ. The, the last one another that I want us to look at this morning is, is actually kind of a twofer. There are two one another's in this last verse um, that you get for the price of one. Confess your sins to one another and pray for one another. Here's how the message phrases it. James chapter five, verse 16. Make this your common practice. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you can live together whole and healed. The prayer of a person living right with God is something powerful to be reckoned with. In order to be a part of the body of Christ, you've got to be connected to the body. You need to encourage one another. You need to serve one another. You need to carry each other's burdens. And you need to go to a whole nother level of relationship. Admitting and owning your own struggles to other people and to pray for them and have them pray for you. How do you live that out? Who do you confess to? Do you, know, do you go stand on the corner and say, oh, here's my stuff? Do you? Not at all. You find someone that you know and that you trust that's part of the body, somebody that you love, um, and, and you develop that relationship with them. You say to them, would you be that person for me? And you begin to, to um, develop that relationship in the same way that you develop a relationship with someone that you date, someone that you love, one step at a time. Um, some people call this having an accountability partner, some, somebody that you can talk about your stuff with that can pray for you. Maybe that person is in your life group. Maybe they come out of your life group. Or maybe you already have that person and you need to invite them into your life group. I, I, I hope that somebody writes this question and we can talk about it more on the podcast, but I'll talk about everything. I, I don't know, but here's what I do know. If there's an area of your life that you think, I don't want to talk about that. I don't want to confess that to anybody. That's probably the very thing that you need to confess to someone, that you need to share with them, that you need to have them praying for you in that area. Confession breaks the power of sin. It breaks the, the hold that Satan has in our life. When we confess our sin to each other, um, uh, it loses its power. I can't, I don't know that I can explain spiritually or psychologi psychologically why it is, but I can tell you that when we talk about the things that we're tempted with, when we talk about the things that we fall into sin in areas that we do that, uh, when we talk about that temptation that we have to lie or to take credit for work that we didn't do, or that temptation to watch things that we shouldn't, or that temptation, that sense of defeat that eats away at our soul, that its power is loosened on our life. It loses its, the, the effectiveness of the claws that dig into us. The affair isn't quite so appealing when you talk about it with someone. The acquisition of stuff doesn't seem quite as important. The decision about that new job becomes much clearer when we confess the, the, the things that we're wrestling with in whether to take it or not. We often, as followers of Jesus, we often quote 1 John 1, 9. That's, um, that's a, a scripture that, that it seems like we learn early. It says this, if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If, if you've been a follower of Jesus for, for a very long time, you, you probably know that. And we hold on to that because we say in our minds, oh, 
the sin that I'm struggling with, I'm gonna confess it to God and God's, gonna, God's faithful and just and he's gonna forgive us of that. And he will, he does do that. But we miss what James says. Confess your sins to one another. There's something, God does something incredible when we become vulnerable with those around us. We're not comfortable doing that because it shows others that we're not perfect and that we're not in control. But we're not, right? We're all broken. We all deal with that brokenness. And that's what we're called to do, to confess our sins to one another and pray for one another. When we, conf- when we have some the, the, someone that we can confess our sins to, they know how to pray for us, not generically, but very specifically. They can pray for us that we would have strength to say no to specific sins. They can pray for us that God would deliver us from a specific, to speak up for Jesus in that situation at work where we want to close down. They can pray for us, for us to be comforted when we experience loss. When we confess our sins, people know how to pray for us. Scripture's clear that we're better together than when we try and do it alone. And when we just come in to worship on Sunday morning and leave and lose that contact. The church is a body that functions better together. So, so here's, here's the message today. Encourage one another daily. Serve one another in love. Bear one another's burdens. Confess your sins to one another and pray for one another. Are you willing to be a part of the body that tries to remain on fire by itself? Or do you want to be a part of a fire that turns the world upside down? The church can only do that when we're connected to each other, when we're in relationship with each other, when we're building each other. Uh, Just as I reflect on the last last few minutes, um. I know that the, that the content of this just stands in such opposition to the culture that we live in, that, that as Americans, we've, we've grown up with this sense of independence, that we can do it on our own, that it's just us and you. And Lord, my prayer is that we would be the body that you've called us to be. God, that we would encourage and serve, that would bear one another's burdens, that would confess our sins to each other, that would pray for each other. And that as a result of that, that DeWitt and St. John's and Langsburg and mid-Michigan would see a body that's dynamic, that's growing, that's on fire for you. In Jesus' name we pray.